Hey everyone, it's Tom Crowds on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show. We have Dave Butler of Butler Mortgages on for a Canadian mortgage update. So the first, this is kind of broken into two parts, this podcast. The first 30 minutes of, is of about Dave and what has happened to him recently. Dave, if you don't know, has had a heart attack. Um, he had a heart attack at 39 years old. We really weren't talking about it too much uh, when it happened, but now he shares his story. So um, the first part of this episode is just about Dave and his life, and uh, I think it's totally worth listening to. But if you just want to skip ahead to the mortgage discussion, skip about halfway through this episode and we get into mortgages. But uh, the the beginning of this is all about just life and, uh, you know, what he went through um, with, with that whole episode and we're just thankful and grateful that he's through it and he's on to uh, bigger and better things. So um, that's why the episode's broken up like that. The first half is talking about what he's recently been through. And then in the mortgage part, we talk about um, getting mortgages on uh, severed, severing land and what you should be aware about, um, pulling equity from different income properties, how do second mortgages work in Canada or private lending in Canada in general. And there's one thing that we talk, uh, we wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and it was negotiating your rate at a time of renewal. So I just want to discuss that really quickly. When you are negotiating your interest rate, when you are automatically renewing with your existing lender. So for example, if you have a five-year term on an income property and at the end of five years, you get a notice saying, hey, we will automatically renew you and here's going to be your interest rate. You can negotiate with the bank at that point. The way to negotiate is call mortgage brokers, call other banks, see what the best rates are available, and then call the bank that you're about to automatically renew with and say, hey, look, I'm getting these offers from other banks that are much better. Can you please at least match what I'm getting from these other banks? And usually, with a little bit of leverage on your side by having that information, they will match. Now, the downside of pulling a mortgage away from wherever it is right now and going with a different bank at time of renewal is that you have to requalify. So when you're with an existing bank and when you stay with an existing bank, it's typically just an auto renewal. You don't have to go and requalify. If you actually want to move your mortgage at time of renewal to a new bank, it's a bit painful because it's like applying for a brand new mortgage at another another bank on an existing property. So it's, it's typically much easier just to stay where you are, but you don't want to accept the first mortgage rate that you're offered. You do want to go shop the market a little bit and then use that as leverage and negotiate a better rate for yourself before you automatically renew an extension on your mortgage. So hopefully that's useful. Um, so uh, with that, I just want to mention if you are listening to this and you want real estate information of any sort, whether it's books, look, we have a brand new book that we rarely talk about, and I can't believe we rarely talk about it, but we have a book called The Real Estate Investing Blueprint. We've taken some stuff that we've used over the last 10 years that actually works here in Canada on the streets. We've condensed it into a book format. You can get a free copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. This is on the streets, real world, world information. This isn't theory, something that we kind of just read about ourselves and are repeating. This is stuff that's all been tried and tested here with investors. We've worked with hundreds of investors at this point. It's got to be thousands of investors at this point. I'm trying to be as accurate as possible. It's a, I'll say hundreds until I have that confirmed, but it's many investors on a, over a billion dollars worth of income property um, here at Rockstar Real Estate. So this is coming from on the streets experience and knowledge. So we've put that all together in a book, The Real Estate Investing Blueprint. 
blueprint. You can get a free downloadable copy of that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. It is available on Amazon. If you want to buy it and get the physical copy, you can all, of course, go to Amazon and search up our last name or uh, real estate investing blueprint and find it that way as well. I think that's it for now. With that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. So uh, just before I explain to you this, how this gym thing, CrossFit thing works, that you're wearing Toronto Ra- Raptors yeah, jersey, are we, like, how far are the Raptors going to go? <laughs> like, are we going to the conference, con- is it conference in, in basketball? I think conference finals? I think we literally talked about this exactly no, the last time. I don't, yeah, I good, on, but, but, good, but that good. was, I think but we But now we have Gasol. We, yes, we were, gonna, we were in trouble with LeBron, but with no LeBron... I think I think we have there is a there LeBron. Is a I don't there. even know what's going on in LA. <laughs> like Le, LeBron, all I know is Lavar Ball came out and said his son doesn't want to leave LA, but if he does, he can't go to wherever Anthony Davis is. Oh, He's got, can't go to is it Memphis? No, not Memphis. I forget. So I don't even know. Sounds very drama. But listen, are we going to the conference finals? We're we not. Gonna, to. We're, are we going to take out Milwaukee? You know what it is? We need we if we're going to end up finishing second, I think we really, 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 really need Indiana to finish third because I think. If that way, if Indiana makes it through their first round and we make it through our first, that's our best matchup in the second round It's Indiana. We do not want to play the Sixers, in my opinion. Don't want to play Boston. Don't want to play those two in the second round. Those are tough teams, right? So. Wow, I feel like you're putting radio voice on. It's Dave Butler. No, it's, it's mortgage talk. Dave it's Butler. mortgage happy talk with <laughs> this, Dave Butler. Is, I almost had to call call in a flyer on this podcast because uh, you could, I had no voice last Monday. It was gone. I, I literally couldn't talk. Okay, so we'll get. Uh, listen, I'll do a little bit of the talking. You asked me right, and I, I'm sure someone listening to this is like, "Can you just get to the mortgage stuff?" Listen, you can skip ahead and just get to the mortgage stuff. If you don't want to listen to this, but he asked, so I'm going to answer the question. The, the way this CrossFit Open thing works is people from all around the world, I think there's like a hundred and some odd thousand this year. That might just be men, and then there's like a whole bunch of women as well. I don't know the total amount, mm-hmm. but there's a whole bunch of people all around the world. You do the same exact workout all around the world five weeks in a row once a week, and then you're you're ranked on how you on do. On time. Or well, what, what, how, what it, is the It depends. Like some of it could just be time. So like, for example, last week's workout – was um oh yeah i didn't do very well at this one at all it was uh you did 25 toes to bar so you grab the bar and then you put your toes to the bar 25 times then you do 50 double unders skips then you go to a bar and you clean which means taking a bar off the ground to your shoulders 135 pounds Mm -hmm. 15 times and then you go back and you do that again but by the time you get to the bar the second time it's not 135 pounds it's 185 pounds and then if you do it within eight minutes you keep going if you don't do it within eight minutes you're done Got and it. everyone's just kind of ranked, right? And there's a cap out. Like, I think the highest weight at the end was 315 pounds. And, and there's a time limit. So then you everyone's ranked oh, around the world. So everyone's ranked around the world. And uh, that's how it works. The first day, the first week was um, a certain amount of calories. It was 19 calories on the rower. Yeah. And then 19 wall balls. And you just repeat that as many times as you can in a 15-minute time cap. Yep. So every week's a little bit different. Oh, okay. But everyone around the world's competing at the same thing. Nick's doing really good. What did he just tell us in his age group? Nick probably doesn't want us to tell this, so we should. He's yeah, 19th in 19th. Canada in his age group. I'm like... in. Canada, I think I'm like 
200 and something in my age group uh, or something like that. Gosh. And Mike, Mike and I are in the same age group and he's destroying me. But double unders aren't my thing. Double unders just destroyed me. No, that's my excuse. My double unders are brutal. They're laughable. Well, 200 in anything in a province or a country or across the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not right? that so, many people doing it. It's not the greatest thing, but I'm happy. It's right. fun. I, I, I like it. So, but what, so I can't remember if, we discussed this last time you were on, but you had a heart attack. Live. No, because I didn't have the heart attack. Then. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. So, so I was had... actually, believe it or not, I think, I think it might have been, it might have only been three weeks, because I think we I had the heart attack. I had a heart attack April first of last year on uh, Easter Sunday, um, and we had done the podcast. It must have been the first week of March. So, yeah, I, I was. I had just, um, I had quit. Uh, smoking cigarettes in February I came back from Europe um, in February and the, these two kids two little tiny kids were on the plane right behind us my wife and I and um, they were sick as a dog like they were just sniffling coughing and everything we were in a tiny little pod like it was in a business class section of a KLM flight from Europe so we were upstairs and like it's just 25 a small pod so it's just the air you just fly first you fly first class well, uh, I, Nick and I, I fly I, economy you know what our first class is if we can get the exit row no, you know, if we can get the exit row <laughs> that's, that's our first, first class, class. Mm-hmm. no you know I the one thing I do do is I'm very I am frugal I do wait like I'm, I'm waiting if you for flew the sales to, to your, if you flew to Europe first class I don't know, you know if you what, could say though? that and being frugal in the same I'm sentence. telling you, it's not, well, when you can, you're able to write it off through a company. I mean, these are, there's, there's certain things I try to tell myself. I'm calling to myself CRA buy. right now. <laughs> well, I, I was out there looking at property, so everything is good to go. Um, yeah, no, I, I came back from Europe last year and got these kids. I must have just ate these kids of sickness for six and seven hours or whatever it was. And uh, within 24 hours, I got home. I immediately was sick. Turned out I had pneumonia. So, um, when you have pneumonia, I couldn't even really breathe oxygen, let alone think about having a cigarette. So I, after I'd smoked since I was 20 years old, so 19 years, I just said, screw it. I'm, I'm quitting. This is ridiculous. Can't breathe oxygen. So no point in smoking. So I, I thought of it as an opportunity to quit, which was cool. It was awesome. Uh, I quit and just cold turkey, which was not that hard, believe it or not, when you have pneumonia. Um, and then my problem is to put on like, 30 pounds in five weeks, literally. So like when I came, the whole point of my story is just now, as I was saying, I was com- when I was here, you've lost I was the probably, I was probably what, two, three weeks after I had quit smoking. So I was starting to put on just even, it's not like I was skinny before. I was already fat. I was, I was 225 pounds at five, six, which is very round. So imagine what happened was by April. Is that 1st, what you got up to? Eh? Well, no, I got up to 255. Wow. I was, I was, I had been walking around at probably 220, 225 for the last couple of years. I mean, just completely out of shape. And yeah, just yeah, yeah. Not, you know, just living, living yeah. the life as, as, as some people would. The I only like reason I lost food, weight so. is because I was rushed to the hospital, right? Multiple right. times. Well, and that kind of changed my whole <laughs> physical fitness and my diet. And I'm, I, I'm following in your footsteps because yeah, the, a heart attack definitely, um, scares the, the shit out of you. So, um, that was, you know, you're not supposed to have a heart attack at 39. So, I mean, long story short, I was, I was eating, we were having turkey dinner on Easter Sunday, April 1st. And, uh, I went down in the basement after I was done. That's where I hang out in my house. And, uh, you thought you were just going to have a nap. I was, I was actually, I think we was getting ready to play video games with Dan and another buddy of mine. And we were going to get some video games in before doing some work at night. And, uh, I, uh, one of my vices was I was drinking these freaking Red Bulls. 
right? So I came down, went downstairs, cracked open a Red Bull, and uh, I started drinking it. And then just about to get on the video games with Dan and my buddy, and uh, I ended up getting this weird, really intense pain on the center right of my chest. Like it was right around the center, center right, which was really so. That was you know, you know, and I'm because isn't I, your heart center? Your heart's left? on your left, yeah. So that was actually what really tripped me out was. Uh, if it's funny because like in a weird way I had always thought if I'm going to die I'm going to have a heart attack like, I mean I was, I was drinking red two red bulls a day it's funny to see you smiling as you say this <laughs> well but I, I'm, I'm calling I'm, it. Look, I'm, I'm just guys I'm just calling it. it if I go down it's gonna be a heart attack <laughs> I'm pretty realistic in you know how my and I'm sure people that have that saw me for the last couple of years were probably like yeah if he wasn't gonna die he looked like he was gonna die of a heart attack how do you too, win so. that bet as you're dying you're like I was right <laughs> I, I was right pay my wife I told you pay my wife <laughs> shit we shouldn't um, joke about that shit no it's I could joke about it now i mean it's over with but uh yeah so uh, long story short um just got a really weird pain in the center right of my chest i knew your heart was on your left so that was so i kind of just let it go i sat i remember it, it was weird like i just sat on my couch kind of battling this odd warm weird pain felt like maybe a really 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 bad case of heartburn i i kept thinking maybe because you just finished having turkey dinner and gravy and stuffing and all kinds of yeah you're stuff. gonna have and, your nap and then i have my red bull so i mean I, I i'm just thinking something went down the wrong too i can't believe you're washing down turkey dinner with a red Bull. yeah it's a, a sick individual um <laughs> in that sense i mean but my whole my whole thing was the reason why i was on the red bulls really was I would sleep, I would work like 15, 16 hours a day and then I'd go to bed, I'd sleep like five hours so I'd wake up, the and I don't drink coffee. So the first thing I would need, you know, for me, that was my thing is I'd wake up and have like a Red Bull. You know, that was that was my coffee basically. And then I'd have another one at about six o'clock in the afternoon when I would kind of need some energy to begin my second shift of work. So that was kind of the backstory of why I was drinking these Red Bulls really. I mean, and I love the taste. They were, it's a lot of sugar. And if you're not thinking, if you don't care what you look like and you're not caring about your fitness I, level, you'll just drink anything or eat anything. You know, I think the really first well. time I had Red Bull in any meaningful way was somebody, what are those shots where someone, you pour Red Bull and someone drops a shot of vodka in the middle of it or something like that? Yeah, I, and it's like a flaming Red Bull. No, oh, no, there's probably, I don't I know mean, what it is. There's vodka Red Bull. I mean, someone, that was a big club drink. Okay, so maybe Red you're Bull. dropping Jägermeister into it. I forget what you're <laughs> dropping into it, but then it fizzes a little little bit yeah. and you drink it all with the shot glass in the yeah. glass mm. and i had i remember having three or four of those and i, I think You're i was wired. running around downtown toronto like like sprinting like usain bolt yep. around, around toronto. oh yeah. yeah it's quick the crash is the crash is yeah, heavy. Yeah, yeah. The crash is real um, okay so you had no. the, f the feeling and yeah, then it was just and i, I fought so what, it for is about, it knock you how did it knock you did, no, 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 no. You're, you're completely, I mean, the whole, the whole situation of what I was having, the, the heart attack that I was having, which I didn't know at the time was, um, it's, it's, I mean, that's the whole thing is you always think like you watch the movies, you know, you see a guy having a heart attack, he like clutches his chest and he drops and he's, you know, either going to the hospital or he's dead or whatever the case may be. Right. So that, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just have this weird pain, it, very intense, but weird in the right center of my chest. And it's not my left. So I'm thinking no heart attack. So sat there for half an hour, just kind of breathing it out and trying to, just, again, not even knowing what's going on. I'm just, I don't want to go and alarm my wife just yet or whatever, but I know it's, it's just not you know it's normal. Um, I didn't even know it was that serious, but I knew it wasn't normal. I was like, oh, this is really odd. Um, half an hour later, I go upstairs and you know, it was weird. This I, so I'd been battling it for about half an hour, and I mean, for some reason, my 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 brain told me, 
get upstairs on the main floor because I'm in the basement. In my, I'm in, I live in a 120-year-old house in Hamilton, so it's not like they make the basements. You know, we finished the basement, but I mean, it's not like it's a big access or a lot yeah, of yeah, room. Yeah. So I remember my first thought. This was very odd. I remember going, you know, if I am having a heart attack, then it'll be really hard if I if they, to got, they have to get me <laughs> out of this basement. I'm like I'm like a big fat 255 pounds at five six. I am just rotund and mass, and uh, I'm thinking there's no way like this is gonna be bad. Like it's gonna be embarrassing. Number one, but number two. So I thought I'll do these guys a favor. I'll get up on the main floor. So I got on the main floor. And my wife says, uh, "What's wrong?" And I just because she could tell it's something going on in my face, and I just said, "I don't know. I got this weird pain." center right in my chest very odd um hurts um not normal and she's like do you want to go to the hospital i said no no i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna wait it out of bed i don't want to you know alarm anyone whatever so and i started just doing weird stuff like i, I remember i went outside to the front door just to get air because it's april so the air is nice and chill and i was starting to get like sweaty and stuff so i was like i went out the front door and i remember that didn't help it so then for some reason I decided, well, I'm just going to walk to the back door then. And maybe that'll like, I was, you start doing really odd stuff. <laughs> you were delirious. Yeah, I was, and then I was laying on like right on the kitchen floor. I just like laid on my back and I'm like, you know, you're just doing things that are not normal, but you're just trying to ease the pain or whatever. So remember my, my wife says, you sure you don't want to go? And she started to get mad at me. She's like, well, you look, you look terrible. Like we should go to the hospital. I'm like, nah, that's cool. Yeah. So now an hour has gone by and then I don't know what it was, but then I just decided I'm going to Google indigestion versus heart attack and just see what so i'm now googling as i'm having a heart attack i don't know it but i'm googling indigestion versus heart attack and i'm reading this article about this thing called gerts g-e-r-t-s and apparently the symptoms of gerts are extremely like like parallel to having a heart so attack. So it's severe indigestion. Yeah, like massive okay. like and like a really heart heart pain indigestion really bad right like it's some type of um yeah some type of basically in, really really bad indigestion. Okay. So I'm reading the article, and I remember at one point I'm reading the article, and I'm going, oh, okay, good. This sounds like Gertz. You know what I mean? And then I get to the end of the article, and the article says, if you are experiencing neck or upper shoulder pain, you should get to the hospital immediately. And at that time, after about an hour, um, my shoulders, you know, and I used to bodybuild. I mean, I used yeah, to, yeah, that's yeah. how I met Nick, right, at the gym. So I remember for some odd reason, my shoulders had felt like I had just worked them out for five days in a row. And after not working out ever, and I just, it just, it, it was weird because it was a muscle pain. It was very odd. Like it just felt like, like I had just put my shoulders through this massive workout. So that, and the fact that my neck, I remember my neck started feeling like warm and thick and just like, not, not through the look, but just, it felt odd. Um, and so I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll probably, I should just get to the hospital. So we did it. It's not like we called the ambulance. We just, I was like, babe, I said to my wife, baby, we got to go. I think I should probably get this looked at. So we just hopped in the car. We just drove down to St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton. We parked on the road and like we're feeding the meter. Like it was, we did not know I was having a heart attack. We just walked across the street, moseyed on in. And I grab a ticket and the ticket number is like, let's say I-92 or something. <laughs> well, I was really lucky. You'll be surprised. So I, I grabbed the tickets like I-190 I or something. And of course I look up and they're on I-90. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, well. So they... The, is the, the person in front of me goes, they call my number. I go up, I sit down. Um, I'm dealing with the person, you know, I hadn't been in the hospital for a while. So I deal yeah, there's with the that person, person who figures out how your, serious you are. Not even yet. Oh, you, you, just I'm your information. Just, yeah. Just that get my person. information. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. them to identify who I am. Of course, I don't have a health card. It got, 
stolen out of my car years ago and I just never got one. Dude. Um, so then I, you know, that's going to have to go through that whole process. And then finally I get to the point where the, the nurse comes to assess you. And, uh, I told her the situation, oh, yeah, I got this weird pain, blah, blah, blah. She says, I'm going to take your blood pressure, fix my blood pressure. And then I remember I said to her, I go, what, what is it? Like, what was my blood pressure? She says, you're 210 over 110. <laughs> I was like, right so from away? that, or do they know immediately what's going on from that or no? Yeah, I well, yeah, you can tell. Like as okay. I tell the story, you'll you'll they definitely something. But for me, I knew right away that was a problem. Like, I mean, I, I always, uh, yeah, I one twenty over eighty is just the magical number you want to be. So I, I knew that you know if you're at one sixty over like ninety, that's actually really bad. So to be at two ten over one ten, um, something was clearly going on. Now what really then trips me out is imagine so that she tells me I'm two ten over one ten, and then she says, okay, go wait, go sit in the waiting room, Mister Butler. So that, so that imagine all, and I'm still having a heart attack. So like, imagine you're like, I'm about to die, but I'm going to go in the waiting room right, to die. Right. But then I'm thinking like, well, if she's sending me to the waiting room, then it obviously isn't that bad. Right. So then, but so now my wife and I walk into the waiting room, there's probably like 20 people waiting there. My wife says, I'm going to go get a Coke. So she walks as soon as she turns and crosses like across the hall where I can't see her anymore. Two nurses come barging through a door and just go, Mr. Butler, Mr. Butler, Mr. They grab me. They bring me in. I'm like, my wife, they're like, no, got it. They grab, they won't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my wife, you know, they can't, she can't hear me. She's gone. So, and I'm thinking I could just wait. They grab me. They throw me on a, on a little gurney. They put me right into a room. So now all my, uh, you know, I hadn't been to a hospital for a while. So everyone's like, who's, you know, every time they'll go to hospital, say, oh, I couldn't get a room. Couldn't get a room. The fact that they've now put me in a room within like five <laughs> minutes of being there. Damn, is, the Canadian right. system's pretty good. <laughs> clearly, clearly, if you're having one of like five, if things, you're close to yeah, death, close it's to pretty death. good. So then all of a sudden these nurses start strapping, they start throwing on all these heart monitors on you and, you know, they're telling me to lift my tongue and they're spraying nitrous underneath my tongue. And, um, uh, you know, your, your mind is going a million different things because I'm saying to myself, I'm 39. I should remember like, what the hell's going on is, you know, what they haven't actually told me I'm having a heart attack either. They're just, but I'm starting to infer that this is what's going on. And, um, then some guy comes in, he says, I'm Dr. So-and-so, I'm the resident ER guy. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, what do you think's going on? And he says, uh, it's not what I think's going on. You're having a heart attack. And so that was pretty interesting situation, for just in, in terms of well, your mind is at that point. Um, a lot of thoughts just filtering, like my my parents were in Vegas at the time, so I'm thinking, like, am I going to see my parents before I die? Like, there's all these things, weird things that are going on. My wife's, I'm sitting there, like, I'm putting my wife through this. It was just a very, very odd situation. Um, and then within, yeah, as you're thinking about this, you don't have time to think because then two guys, two really big guys with a big, huge yellow gurney show up. And all of a sudden, they're telling me to move, and they're shifting me around so that they can get me onto this gurney. And then all of a sudden, now I'm on a gurney, and they're rushing me now out to the hospital into an ambulance. So now I'm in the back of an ambulance. And so I mean, this is all happening within minutes of me walking in. So now I'm in an ambulance, and you know that ambulance then goes to Hamilton General. I don't know what's Hamilton General. I just I figure all this out after. But I end up at some new hospital, and right out of the back of the ambulance, you end up on a table. Like I literally, from an amb back of the ambulance, I'm on an operating table. There's like people putting stuff like all over me, and seven or eight people there, and it's 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 just surreal what's going on. And they tell you you're not going to feel very good, and um, you know all of a sudden you start feeling not very good. You don't know what's going on. You can't see anything. You don't know. So I you're don't, doing surgery right on the spot. Literally, then? like they're well, what it is is they're 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 doing an angiogram to 
you know, figure out where my blockage is. And then once they find the blockage, they end up either ballooning or stenting the artery that is blocked. And so just to back up for anyone that doesn't know about heart disease or heart attacks or anything, you're probably wondering, what is a heart attack? Like, what is it? Like physiologically, what is a heart attack? A heart attack is effectively when one of your arteries to your heart has, it's the blood has effectively become blocked because either the artery thins so much from either plaque buildup, cholesterol, that kind of stuff. And then what's happened is, is it's so small, this little, artery now you're thinning out the blood and the blood has still got to go through it but then a piece of the plaque breaks off and it actually causes it clogs it effectively and now no more blood goes from that artery to the heart and that is basically a heart attack the smaller the artery that gets clogged the better chance you have of living the larger the artery that gets clogged the likely is you die right right away like it's you know when you see people that do die of a heart attack that's because they had a huge artery that actually got completely blocked and then you just die your heart just can't your heart can't needs so much blood basically right so um yeah so they know they go in they put a stent in um you know and they effectively they then put me into uh, a, a, a surgery like an after care heart attack ward and i'm here 39. you're the youngest guy i was there. Thir- i remember i was 39 i just remember like this is a everyone's looking call. over at you going totally, holy shit totally. look at the young guy in here totally so i mean that was my biggest wake-up call I, I mean aside from having a heart attack at 39 was just the realization and living out that situation where you're sitting there in the recovery room with like 75 year old guy that just had a massive heart attack you know 80 something year old woman and like a 65 year old guy you know and uh, you're 39 you know, and everyone's kind of looking at you. Really Life's weird. short, man. Life's yeah. short. Well, it's short. And, you know, I I mean, my... 39, my, dude. My situation short. Was, yeah, we're, was... We're all we're all lucky and grateful that 39 is uh, has is passed. Yeah. Well, I just turned 40, so I made it. And, uh, no, I, I took it really seriously. Um, you know, you should. Yeah, because you've lost a ton of weight. I'm Are, down to, like, 190... Uh, so I've lost about 65 pounds. What was the hardest part, changing your diet? Because I found when I lost weight, when I had to change it, it was hard to find replacement foods. Like, that was my biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know how to cha- go from... Because when I was eating too much and too much of the wrong foods, I was literally taking my wife's chocolate chips that she had for, to uh, in, a, in a Tupperware thing for baking. Yep. And I would just dump my hand in there like a cup, and then I would just cup my hand and <laughs> pour them into my mouth sure. and eat them. And then I'd wash it. And I didn't even drink Coke much, like, in my yeah. life. But for whatever reason, that six months period, I was, like, washing it down with Coke and... Yeah. Um, just on top of a whole, a whole bunch of other poor eating habits. Yeah. But then when I had to change my eating, I was like, okay, if I'm not going to eat like pizza right now, what do I eat? Yep. Like I had to reintroduce, this sounds crazy because I was eating vegetables and stuff, but it was like, oh, I have to eat some nutrient dense, healthy yep. meats, healthy fish, vegetables, nuts. Like I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> macadamia nuts taste yeah. pretty good. And I'm like, this dark chocolate thing, even though it's really dark, I, with macadamia nuts, this actually is pretty filling Fantastic. and satiating. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to find all these other foods. And what I also found is by eating healthier foods they're more nutrient dense so i wasn't always snacking anymore either right and then everything kind of cleared up in my digestive system that was the problem i was having but that was the hardest thing finding the replacement there was a book called the primal blueprint by mark sisson that i think i mentioned to you anyway that particular book really taught me about food 
yep. uh, in a way that I could understand and adapt to my life. So that was the hardest thing for well, me. You know, I mean, you know what? Food from the food part. But you wasn't knew all that, yeah, because yeah, you like, have a bodybuilding my, background, so you knew yeah, all this stuff. I, the food part for me was just like I had done. I had bodybuilded for so long that. I that actually is probably what helped get you fat in a way like you just it's such a regimented thing that when you finally are almost break away from it you do the opposite so like I was only eating pretty much one big meal a day like I wouldn't even eat breakfast yeah got I it. woke you, up you I'd have a Red Bull my main meal was when I'd come home maybe at five or six o'clock I'd have a huge dinner and then I'd start working again and then I'd probably snack a lot I mean I, I was doing all the bad stuff so but the food wasn't Really the hard part. That was when I just knew I had to go back to eating every three hours, smaller meals, clean stuff, like back chicken breasts, you know, that kind of stuff. Although, like you, other people were able to teach me because my bodybuilding, you know, years were back in my, we're going to, let's just say 20, 20 to 10 to 20 years ago, you know, in terms of the range. So um, there's a lot newer stuff out there in terms of just information on on nutrition but not only that i wasn't i'm not eating for bodybuilding now for me really the hardest part was uh, the cardio because i was so fat and out of shape um it's not easy to be Got 255 it. pounds and start walking and yeah, running yeah. a lot. So is that what you started that doing? Was, well i just i my first thing i started was walking just walking around the block um and then just every day just like with bodybuilding you know you push yourself every yeah. you know just i most People determined people. I was determined to have a heart attack, so I was clearly determined to fix it. So um, I, I just really, you know, every day wanting to beat, you know, whatever it was, either my time or how much distance I covered. And then it, it really happened organic. It was like, might have been maybe two, three weeks in as I'm now walking longer distances. And I'm telling you, this was really weird. It felt like almost like I was in a movie because I'm like, I'm near probably the final, like, maybe one tenth of my walk. Right. I've gone all the way here, you know, on this trail. I've come all the way back and I'm doing this fast walk and I'm sweating and whatever. But I felt so good that just organically, I just my brain and it, it was not pre-planned. It was just like, can't. I feel like we could just run the rest. So then I just started running. Not, not a fast awesome. run. Dude, this is a Rocky movie. It was well, it felt like that because it was just so weird. I felt basically outside my body when it was like. Can you imagine Eye of the Tiger started playing in the background? (laughs) Well, you know what, though? I would have had some type of motivational music on because that's that's just crap that I listen to, right? So I would have my headphones on. So it was like I probably the the right song came on. I was like, I'm going to run this. I can do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I ran it. And then ever since then, it's just trying to run more and more and more. I'm up to a point now where um, it's certainly not a fast run. But my cardio routine right at the moment is about 30 to 45 minutes on a pretty on a fast walk of like maybe 3.1 to all the way up to 3.8 miles an hour um like i'll start off at 3.1 and then every five minutes i'll jack it up and then at about either a half an hour or 45 minute mark i'll just start i jack it up to about five five miles an hour is where i start that's where i start jogging i'm a short guy so that's a jog for me and then um I would do that for as far as as far as maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes or even an hour. And I'll usually like if I do a half an hour, then the next day I'll do 45. Next day I'll do an hour for a run. So total every day is about an hour and a half of cardio. But I do that every day. And you're tracking. Day. I know you're wearing the aura ring. So you're tracking data. Yeah, now, I've got my son quality. got me a Fitbit for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So I've literally, I'm like yeah, a you're walking. You're gadgeted up, man. I've got, I've got my up. aura Dude, ring. Now you're going to ruin got... yourself. You should have so much radio frequency, Bluetooth <laughs> well, frequency going around your well, body. You got, and you know what? I got the, and I keep the, iPod, the iPhone in your pocket because that also gives you like if, if for some reason your Fitbit ever goes out of the aura ring I've also can track my uh, through the health app it tells you how many kilometers and stuff you did there right so and then every th- 
that's cool because you can visually see everything either on the Fitbit or on the iPhone and the Aura. So then you just push yourself the next day. You know, a lot, a lot of people ask us like, why on this particular podcast, don't you guys always talk about real estate? And I'm like, well, a whole bunch of things we talk about, like bringing Dr. Cowan on here, talking about health, chiropractor, Dr. Pete, who we've had on here multiple times. And like, without your health, really, what does all this matter? Like if I don't feel good in the morning, you know, like well, and I laughed at that, like literally, like I don't mean to laugh at that, but I mean like yeah. when you would be like, when you were telling me we'd be talking about a member meeting, you're like, oh, I'm going to have some like health guy there. I remember I would just be like, what is Why? Tom yeah, doing? Yeah. Like, you know how many people have told us mind. that? <laughs> but so many people have told us that. Like, guys, wake up. You're, realist. you're yes. into real estate. And I'm yeah. like, no, we're really into living life on our terms and yes. I need to be able to feel good. Real estate yes. happens to be an income equity component, asset base, but without feeling good, yes. forget it. All of this well, stuff sucks. Why, why do I want to put up with the hassles of real estate? You yeah. know, how, we're just talking about mortgage, <laughs> the difficulty of getting mortgages yeah. in Canada. Why are we all struggling to go through this if we're just going to feel crap all yes. the time too right well, and why make why why invest and make all this money if you're going to die early it, it, totally right so that's where i'm at now is i remember one of the thought processes uh, like i want to go down in a, in a blaze of glory man basically. like i want to go down like something <laughs> epic is happening not a, yeah not a like a mild heart attack no where, no like you no, know like, that, that just seems weird like it doesn't doesn't yeah, fit yeah, the story right? you know what so. though and and we've kind of been lighthearted about this at least i have talking about this it's obviously a very serious thing but, uh, dude, we're obviously really grateful <laughs> that things like <laughs> the, things worked out the way they worked out. I mean, you'd never want to hear that, get that kind of call about a friend and, you know, it Jesus. had to happen though. It had to happen. Honestly, it had to happen. If it didn't happen, I'd be, if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have changed anything. It's yeah, yours was more serious than mine, but I, I feel like sometimes we all need to be, you, you know, someone needs to shake you a little bit yep. and sometimes it's your body shaking you saying, Hey, look. Yeah. Okay, well, when so, you don't listen to your, your family's telling you for years, you got to do. Hey, by yeah, the way, yeah, you yeah. look terrible. You're blot. You're red blot. Yeah. You know, and you don't change yeah. anything. You're in trouble. So, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because apparently you know stuff about mortgages and shit. <laughs> so uh, I just want to go through. I have a little, a little. I I never prepare for these podcasts. I have a little list here. Yeah. I, um, I, I, do I feel special or is that we're just trying to walk? No, 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 no. There's too much to ask you, really. Uh, so I want to talk about the state of getting mortgages in Canada in a second because there's lots yep. to talk about there. But a few kind of bullet items: pulling equity from properties. Uh, some investors, uh, shockingly to myself and Nick, don't understand that they can tap equity. And I know you have to qualify and stuff, but if you have equity in your rental properties yep. or income properties, you can go get that equity, use it to get other real estate. And I'm not saying this from a self-serving point sure. of view. I just mean if you wanted to tap equity, that's possible in Canada, correct? Very possible. Um, some know about it, some don't. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the, rea- you know, the truth is, is that yes, when there's equity in the home, you know, as long as we qualify, we can tap into so that. So you have all to qualify, to but you have to qualify like you're getting another yeah. mortgage base. That's yeah, the tricky it's a pain part. in the butt. I mean, it's in all the members listening are going to know. I think the paperwork part is the worst part about mortgages. I think we can all agree about that. Um, so that may be why it might. This be is more term. than rockstar members too. You have investors sure. all over the country. Uh, okay, to, to all of yes, the investors. There's someone listening to this from the <laughs> Czech Republic. Okay, I just looked I at the stats. I, I just looked that. at the stats. I love that. Um, uh, yeah, no, there's you can. So the rule of thumb basically if you're ever curious as to like how much equity you might be able to access grab your calculator on your phone take the value of the home so say you and i are talking and you know at one two three rental property street we you and i think is worth roughly five hundred thousand. take that five hundred thousand on a calculator multiply it by 0.8 which is obviously 80 percent right that is the maximum you can borrow off of a property in canada at the moment on a refinance so you take the five hundred thousand, you times it by 0.8 you end up your calculator says four hundred thousand now 
Take that 400,000 minus the mortgage balance that's on the house. Let's assume the mortgage balance on the house is 300,000. Let's use an sure. easy yeah, number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, so now we know that we can get access up to 400, which is 80% of the value of the home. We only owe 300. So you take that 400 minus 300, that leaves 100. That 100,000 is how much possible access we can get to equity in that home right so that that, that would that would be the number so it'll be a hundred thousand now we still have to go through the approval process Appra- i got to get an appraisal. appraisal that's the biggest thing because yeah. someone could say my house is worth 500 if the appraiser goes in and says it's worth only 465 or 475 but the reality is if you only owe 300 you're still going to get access to equity just take again sure. take that value times by 0.8 and then minus whatever you owe on the home. You could have a first mortgage. There could be a, a home equity line of credit already on the home. You have to factor that into what you owe. But anything you owe on the home, take that from the 80%. And that will tell you how much funds you can get access to. Yeah. And, and if you're listening to this, that's probably how like 99% of all investors we ever work with are able to continue to grow their portfolio. In some way, whether it's their principal place of residence or somewhere, they're tapping equity. Very few people in Canada right now for the last 10 years that I've seen save money. Like no one really, I, I know, just because, and I'm not trying to make fun of that. I just mean the cost of living's high and no one's really saying, there are people, I shouldn't say no one, but the majority of people aren't saying, I just saved up another hundred thousand right. bucks in my checking account and I'm ready to go buy some property. Well, it's very rare someone just calls you up and, as an investor. Says, yeah, I've got 800 grand just sitting in the bank because the reality is that's actually, you're not investing correctly then. You're, With you're that already, much cash. Yeah, why would you have Or you think the world's coming the to an end and some of us know people like that. Listen, someone told me to sell my house and I remember this in 2009 because they said real estate crash is coming to Canada. It, it hit the U.S. It wasn't. No, it wasn't your dad. It's a different guy in real estate, an experienced guy. He uh, was living out in Burlington, sold his home yeah. and started renting for the protection of his family. We really didn't think we wanted to sell our own home. Yep. So we didn't. Um, and who knew what the next 10 years? Would be? I mean, we didn't know interest rates were going to be like this. Your friend missed out on a lot of equity. I don't know. We, yeah, we haven't talked about it since really. So the next thing is negotiating your, when a mortgage comes up for renewal, Often you just get a letter in the mail from the bank saying, hey, you don't need to requalify again. Your five-year term is up. We're rolling this forward into another one-year term or three-year term or five-year term. You pick, and here are the interest rates you're going to get. A lot of people don't understand they can negotiate at that point. Yeah, so what you know, we... We look at this in a couple of different ways. There's, you know, you have to look at it as a branch. There's going to be one of two things that are going to happen on a renewal. Either my client or your client or whoever it is, the investor, whoever, they are either going to, they don't need to get access to money. So they just want to continue on with the mortgage or they want to access money. So really on a, on a, when you're coming up for renewal, the question that if a client calls me and says, Dave, my renewal is coming, what am I doing? I say, well, here, this is a very simple question you have to answer. Do you want access to equity? Or are you okay for now? And let's say we go down avenue number one. He says, yes, I want access to equity. Well, then at that point, we're going to say, okay, if you want access to equity, we're now open on renewal on this date. You will have no penalty. I have to re-look at your application. I have to re-qualify you. And we just have to go through the process almost like you and I just talked about. We're a refinance. We're going to send an appraiser to the house, find out how much it's worth. We're going to then go from there minus the 80% for how much is owing, figure out how much access. The client then can decide how they want to take it. Do they want to take it all as a new mortgage? Do you want to take it as a mortgage? Keep your mortgage the same now and just add a home equity line of credit. There's all these different you know ways that we can get access to the funds. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about was... Uh in Ontario, there's going to be, over the next 10 years, look, we were just talking about, uh, before we started here, the population growth in Ontario, it's it really the last year, last 12 months, huge growth. Yes. There's a lot of um, 
opportunity going forward over the next 10 years will be for people to sever pieces of land and build on them. How difficult is it to get financing on, like let's say I have an old rental property, mm -hmm. big lot, and I'm like, and multiple rockstar investors are doing this kind of stuff already. Yep. Um, uh, I want to sever a piece of land and I'm going to build on it. What type of financing am I looking to get? Is that like a construction loan I'm looking to get? What? Well, uh, you're, you're, you're looking at, having to go through the severance process first before you do anything, okay. which is which can be costly, which there's no financing for that, right? I mean, you a lot of times an investor is going to take the equity out of their house to, you know, or, or that property or whatever it is to pay for the severance process. Once it is severed, and who knows how deep you are now into finding into um, some money and, and funding this thing. Um, at that point, once it's severed, though, you you do have one part, one lot has a property on it, the other part property which could be really great because it's like a free piece of land technically if you've already bought the lot it is except for the fact in what kind of makes it difficult though is that the a lot of times we have heard that the bank who has the mortgage on the one property who now has a mortgage on half of the same Got lot it. Shit. they have I an didn't issue think about that it, right so Got i've it. even seen like if you ask like jerry gatto and chris agropolis yeah, yeah. That we that we that's where we've actually run into snags all the way up until that point. Okay, so it's, you, you got to check this first, then. Well, it's almost not check it. It's that sometimes the bank, Damn, the bank yeah, yeah. has to, depending on who you're talking to in terms of a lawyer, the lawyers will tell you that they have to notify the bank of this. Yeah, got it. And if the bank once once notified, the bank could say, well, you know, our security is not the same. We want, you know, so I've had situations where the bank has told us, no, we're not okay with it, and we have to go and redo the whole mortgage again. I mean, it. Don't get me wrong. There are, are people doing it and they're doing it well. And I mean, they're doing. They're oh, yeah. Doing no, I, I know you're not trying to it's, say it's not possible. These are just important things to think about. Well, I just think some people hear of people doing it really determined people doing it. They think it's easy. And it's like, yeah, but those people put in a lot of time. They've also done it six times. So they know all the pitfalls and the, you know, the goings and the comings of the of the process for people that are starting it brand new. Not that I'm discouraging it, but I mean, it's it certainly is probably a lot harder than it you know it's it's well, like and we all know looks. people who've done stuff who haven't informed the bank on anything like i know sure. people who've bought a house <laughs> bulldoze the house down yes. there's a mortgage the, the financing yes. they got originally was based on the fact that there was a house standing yes. on the lot but they decided they're going to flip this thing and yep. the flipping meant destroying what was there yep. and if the bank ever drove by and That'd took a, a look at what you yeah. know that stuff happens yep. all the time it's just you need to know the risks yes well and then the way that when that when that happens though there's no lawyer involved Right, you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, like the yeah. problem with the severance that I've yeah, found is that it. there is a lawyer involved in the severance, and the now lawyer they're obligated. They feel yeah, yeah, obligated, yeah, yeah. maybe sense. by the law, to makes tell, explain to the bank. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we, I mean, it's again, we've done it, but it's especially if it was the lawyer that was the lawyer at closing of the original purchase. Oh, they probably absolutely. have a fiduciary responsibility 100%. to go to the bank because they were yeah. representing the bank at the time of yeah. closing. So yeah, uh, you're putting people in a bad spot if you're having them try yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. to do <laughs> what they should, what they feel they should morally be doing. Banks get you every time. But as far as how to finance it, we've had situations. Situations where once the people own, you know, the sever the lot has been severed, you have now have a lot that's got nothing on it. Um, now it's just getting either a construction mortgage or a lot of times, to be quite honest, people are going with private lending. I mean, I can't. OK, I, so I, what would you borrow? What, what, how would that work? What would the interest rate be on that? I'm going to I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build a house on here. It's going to yeah. be a rental property they're going to build. Yeah, you're, need, you're looking at, you know, from a private lender, you're, you could be looking at anywhere from seven, eight, nine percent, even higher. I mean, it, it also, it's per application. So it really does depend on. Yeah, but it might be a lot easier than going through a bank well, for a construction loan. That's the big thing, right? Is that it's much easier. The private lender does not do draw amounts. 
So that's a huge thing. So understand like you're getting your whole money. You're getting you get it all. Like the private lender doesn't want to give you draw amounts. They want to give you the whole thing. Yeah, and just to be clear, because a bank would give it to you uh, piece by piece as milestones piece piece. were hit hit on which, the project. Which, by the way, sounds good because you're we thinking, know we know people who missed milestones, <laughs> and the bank said, "Forget it, yes. we're not lending you." Yeah, you think that sounds good because you're thinking, "Oh, well, they're going to give it to me in stages. They're being so nice." Well, no, they the way they set up is they say you get X amount at twenty five percent, you get X amount at fifty percent, you get X amount at seventy. Well, you're if your contractor, if, if if they're saying, well, no, we need this money, it doesn't. The bank doesn't just go, oh, well, the contractor no, said the you need it. We're going to give it to you. Quantity surveyor or something like that. There's a guy yeah. anyway who's responsible, like a project yeah. manager, to see that you're hitting certain milestones. When for on the construction, like when I've done them, the bank construction mortgages on those, they, it's, they leave it up to the appraiser. Yeah. Ooh, so like, yeah, it, you know, God, if you got a good or bad God, appraiser, yeah. that thing's going to go good or bad. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Got so, it. Okay. And then so how? So since we're talking about that, how do second mortgages or no? Let me say private lending. How do how does private lending work here in Canada? Because a lot of people don't know that. Like, so I I want to do exactly what we talked about. I approach a mortgage broker. I, I don't even have to, right? I could go to a private individual. Can you, you could just go, walk? I mean, a private lender is effectively just anyone that's not an institution that's willing to lend you the money. I mean, that's you know, okay. You, I, you're a private lender. I'm I, a private lender. And then I guess I, the, you know. the the way the reason I'm asking you is uh, uh, mortgage brokers like yourself who do yes. a, a ton of volume, yep. you have a lot of clients who are looking to lend out money. So you could have, I'm not saying you do yeah. have that, but I kind of know that you have that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, yes. So uh, you will then what evaluate the deal and put the private lender in touch and say, Hey, or, or, or give this deal to the private lender saying, Hey, look, here's the opportunity. Here's the risk. Here's the equity. And here's the interest rate. I think we're going to have to charge. Yeah. With private, you're acting as an advisor in the middle a little bit. Yeah. I mean, a bro when a broker is working on a private deal, they're basically covering both sides. Um, they're effectively putting both putting sides the deal together. together. Yeah, I mean, that's um, the way it works. I mean, Private lender, you generally will go and access through a mortgage broker. With that said, there are private lenders that, um, you know, are on Kijiji. I mean, yeah, are no, on, I know, you know, yeah, like they course. go direct to the public, whereas a lot of private lenders will just go to like a mortgage broker, either someone they trust or someone who's high volume. Um, and they will approach that broker and say, hey, I've got X amount of dollars. I'd like to lend this out privately. Here are my terms. Um, that's one way. Another way is, as you're mentioning, is I, you know, for instance, with a lot of the rock star investors I've worked with over the years, you know, we become friends. We we talk outside of work. Private lending comes up because it's something I'm a big fan of and I've been you know involved with. Um, and at that point. Uh, they may be looking to diversify their real estate portfolio and they'll ask me about private lending and I'll say, yeah, I've got, you know, I can put you in touch with my father who's a big broker in the private mortgage world or, and I can add you to my list. And then as deals come about, we would bring them approach a private lender and say, how do you feel about this deal? Here's where we're at. You know, here's what we got. The loan to value is this, the rates are this, this is what we've priced out. But basically, yes, the mortgage broker in a nutshell is going to package up the deal for both sides. So, so there's going to be an interest rate charge, some fee charge for doing this work. Yeah. Well, yes. So the reality is there's generally the fees that you're looking at. If you're a borrower is you're always going to pay a lender fee. So there's always a lender fee. So let's let's back up if we will. You've got your interest rate, whatever, you know, and that's going to be a little bit higher than the construction from the bank. Um, but you've got no draws, right? No, the, the private lender gives you all the money up front. They also don't bug you. They don't stay on top. You know, it's very, it's not an intrusive process. Private lenders just usually want to get their money out. But um, you will basically, uh, the mortgage broker will 
uh, you know, say I have a client who's in need of some money. Um, the deal looks good, you know, in the sense of the loan to value is where we want it to be, where we feel safe. Uh, we've priced it out. We bring it to the private lender and just kind of show them the details. By that time, my office, a lot of times we've already done the appraisal on the property, you know, and we just approach the private lender and say, what do you think about this deal? Is this something you'd like to lend on? If they agree to it, then effectively we put the deal together. In terms of the fees, you've got a lender fee at all times. So the lender is usually going to charge one to 2% of the mortgage amount, which the higher the mortgage amount, the higher the fee. Um, there's always going to be a roughly about 1700 to $1,800 in lenders legal fees. So this is something the borrower also pays. Um, there's also an appraisal fee, uh, which generally the borrower would pay for. Um, and then finally there's usually a broker fee. Now, a lot of people that have dealt with me will know like when I'm lending one of, you know, let's say it's a rock star investors money out, I don't charge a fee. I mean, I, I'm probably the dumbest mortgage broker there is in terms of monetizing my practice in one sense because um, in the oddest way possible, and maybe this is why my brain is backwards, I look at it when I do that deal is I've got a borrower who needs money. I've got a lender who once I lend their money is going to make money so that I'm keeping my lender happy, which is great. I mean, they're usually clients of mine. But that borrower, if I had to get them private money, to be able to, you know, facilitate whatever it is they're doing. I prefer to then work with that borrower to try to, you know, I'll put them, maybe it was a credit issue they had. Maybe it was an income okay, issue. Okay, so you're, you're trying to do well, it in I, a more cost-effective way at some point afterwards. Well, what it is, is if I'm taking someone from getting a private mortgage now and I work with them for the next year, and then I can, I can then take them fix their situation, help it's them more conventional. It. And lending. now I move it to a bank. The bank will pay me, right? My, my broker when I okay. do the deal. So again, this is where I say I'm probably the dumbest guy because there's any mortgage broker listening to this right now is saying, oh, that guy's an idiot. He's not charging. He could make a ton of money by charging the borrower a fee. But I, and I can, and I know, and it's dumb. And I'm sitting, I'll agree with you and say, you're right. I'm an idiot. But I just, I've built <laughs> my good. business differently. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, don't. Yeah. I, 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 I think feel people appreciate it. Many people have come to us when they've gotten in jams and you've helped them out. Um, and I think you've built a really good reputation that way. So, yeah, <laughs> well, no, thank no. you. But, uh, but something I think people want to know or everyone should know is that if I'm lending, uh, my security is the equity in the property. Yeah. So you're going to likely advise people, hey, don't lend out over a certain amount of loan to value on this project because I'm basically going to be the bank. I'm going to foreclose on this thing. Yes. If I'm private lending and I'm in second position, if it's a second mortgage, I might have to take care of the bank. Actually, can I just go and foreclose on this thing and give the bank what it owes? Um, if I'm in second position, so let's say- No, you, believe it or not, you'd have to continue paying the first mortgage. So, yeah, I, mean, I would have to continue paying. That's right. Yeah we're, yeah, we're delving into something. Literally, you and I could talk about for 12 hours. But yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, to dumb it down a little bit- um, if you're lending on on those construction ones in particular, it wouldn't be a second. Yeah, that would be a first. Yeah, that would be a first. When you're lending on a second mortgage, if the borrower was to default um, to you, right, then I would, you know, let's, let's just right. assume yeah. they have a mortgage, first mortgage with TD Bank and they have a second mortgage with, let's say, me as a private lender. If they now stop paying me and they stop paying the bank. Well, my problem is I'm in second, second position. position. So if that yeah, first mortgage lender, here no, it's okay, bit. it's yeah, okay. Yeah. It's actually a good discussion. Um, if the first mortgage lender 
uh, is in default and they're in first position, right? Uh, sorry, they the borrower is in default with them, the default with us. They're in first, I'm in second position as the lender. My problem is, is they now have the power to get the power of sale judgment over me. So what a lot of smart second mortgage lenders will do is I will start paying the, the first, first mortgage. mortgage bank. I'll start literally paying the bank the mortgage payment so that that mortgage is in good standing. And then now I have the right of power of sale, being in, even though I'm in second position, because I've kept the first position in good standing, right? Because if TD Bank's getting their money, are they going to want to kick the people out of the house? The answer is no. I then have to then, you know, and I know that sounds really crass, but, you know, the reality is as a private lender is if... I don't get my payment. If they go into default with me, if they're bouncing their checks to me, my only recourse on my money is I have to put, yeah, I, have I, to go I think a it doesn't sound process. cross. Maybe when I was younger, I mean, that's just kind of the reality of the world. Well, it is. You're bored. You're going to take my money yeah. and you're going to agree payments. to make payments and then you don't make the yeah. payments. I mean, I my only recourse yeah, yeah. is I can take your home over by a power of sale, which by the way is going through a whole legal process, which, you know, that, that costs money. Um, now you do get it back as a private lender, any fund, any, you know, all that money. You're probably saying, Dave, you're going to pay the first mortgage. That's crazy. Well, I just keep a record an accounting record of everything I paid. And when it goes through the whole legal process, I will get my money back. But the, to back up to that, the key is to never lend out to a certain loan to value. That's dangerous. Yeah, the whole get- thing about private lending. Yeah. The whole thing about private lending is that if you're going to lend out to a loan to value, that's, you know, let's say as an example, you're going to lend past 85% loan to value. You're in danger. And I'll explain. It's very simple. The reason why oh. you're in danger is the cost of a power of a good power of sale lawyer. is probably about nine to 10% of the equity in the home. Okay. So let's add this up. Power, good power of sale lawyers oh, that the cost on yeah, that's yeah, nine yeah. to 10% of the value of home. You then need a real estate agent. And the way it works on these power of sales is that, you know, the reality is you need that thing sold very quickly. So when you're when you're a private lender and you're working on a file that you're in a power of sale, you're not bringing it to your brother who's a realtor yeah, yeah, who's yeah. going to put a for sale sign on it or, and put it on Kijiji and hope it sells. You need to find the number one guy in that area that spends the most amount of money on advertising so that that property will sell immediately. We cannot have this on the market for four or five months. This has it's to sell right money. away because it's costing me a le- as the lender. And if the market has changed at all, because on top of that, let's say the market yeah. changes 5%. Like it, we were just talking about mm-hmm. the certain price categories of homes in Toronto have yeah, changed more changes. Than, more than slightly more than five percent. So uh, on top of that, so nine to ten percent legal fees, plus real five percent to a real five percent right? change. So in you're a, about fifteen percent of that equity is just going in the power of sale lawyer and the realtor, right? So now we gotta we gotta figure out. I never want to lend past eighty five percent, but do in this day and age, do I really even want to go to eighty percent? Because as as you just said. What if there's a, a shift in the, market, in the market, right? Now, when things are great, when the market is in a bull run like crazy and every year it's the house is worth more, as a private lender, you can extend your risk per se and maybe lend to 80, 85% because you know a year from now, the value of that home will be worth more and your loan to value position sure. will be better. But when you're in today's market, you know, oh, where it looks like we've kind of cleared the peak and we're on maybe... The, you know, we're hitting a trough here. If you're lending at 85%. Dave's bringing out the crystal ball. The crystal ball. Dave Butler's crystal like bar ball has just made it onto the podcast. But if you're if you're lending out at 85% in this market, you're in trouble. Because if a year yeah, from now, the house it makes is sense. worth less. The reason, so, yeah, second mortgage is a little trickier. But private lending in general got really interesting to me about 15 years ago when we were dealing with a lawyer. And um, I think it was even longer. 
I think it was around like the year 2000 and a lawyer was uh, saying to us, um, I, we were talking about the, the NASDAQ market correction yeah. and I'm like, Hey man, you know, I got these like Oracle shares. They were at $80. They're now at like 12. I thought, I, I remember telling Carol, like, I think we're probably rich because we're going to pay for our first house, like 80% of it in this Oracle stock. Yeah. And then it all just kind of evaporated. Right. I bought Carol a ring at the top of that Oracle stocks value. Yeah. Um, and it was for me, it was a really expensive ring yeah. at the time. And, uh, that's the you only were, you that, were worth X because you got yeah, all that, yeah, that stock, but that was the yeah. only good thing I got out of the tech bubble this ring, but because uh, it all then collapsed around me. But uh, anyway, I remember kind of talking to him. I mean, everyone was talking about the tech uh, stock market collapse, and he was like, "Well, it didn't really affect me too much." And I'm like, "Why?" He goes, "Well, I'm older than you guys. You guys probably don't know this, but like, I just do private lending with my money." Yeah. And I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, all my buddies who are lawyers and accountants." Everybody who's made a little bit of money, they just do private lending. Yep. They just lend out their money. And I'm like, wait a second. You guys all just become the bank and you guys just lend out your money and you don't even play in like the public markets at all. <laughs> and they kind of just like the way you yeah. just laughed right now is the way he kind of just. And I think the way you're holding your pinky finger, I think he was like, I think he was spinning a gold ring while he was telling me the story and smiling and there was like a sparkle from his yeah. tooth that came out and I, I remember you. thinking oh my god this is a world of I didn't know I always thought investing was like the stock market yep. you know and then we were just getting in ourselves to real estate but it was just like oh you invest you just do you buy a passive fund and that's your yep. investing I didn't realize people who are actually making big money they don't play in the well, public market that's the crazy part like I'll give you the, the, the little quick story really quick about how I even got interested in private mortgages is what I, I hadn't even worked for my dad yet I was like uh, I think I was still in university and I had gone to my dad's office um, just to, I don't know pick something up or whatever it was and I'm there and a guy pulls up and a beautiful I mean you got to imagine this was like this must have been the late 90s right so guy pulls up to my dad's office in a, like a BMW I want to say like 7 series or 8 series it was like right when the this crazy amazing BMW had just come out and this guy pulls up in this beautiful BMW and he gets out of the back and a guy gets out of the front and they walk into my dad's office and they go and they sit in my dad's office and they're talking to him and I remember right away I'm intrigued because I'm like a teenager I'm in my late teens and I'm going I think this guy is a driver you know I'm like this is the late yeah, 90s who the hell has a driver right I mean it's, 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 they try to think about go back to the late 90s right so and it's a beautiful BMW it's not just a driver it's a beautiful BMW it's not like he's just taking a little town car around so he See, the guy my leaves par my parents owned a town car i'm with you they bought it used they bought it <laughs> yes. used my and dad it, had a town car i think it was like a, on that thing yeah, that was the best the was it maroon my, <laughs> i think my dad's was maroon and silver like or something shit brown <laughs> <laughs> anyway sorry so, go so, on. I, so this guy he leaves he, he talked to my dad for about half an hour and i think i was there talking to my brother i don't know what i was doing there but i was so intrigued by this guy when he left i went up to my dad i was like who the hell like what does that guy do right he goes and I'll say his name because he's 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 alive and he's well and he's kicking. It's Terry Wallman. He's uh, he's an amazing lawyer on Bay Street. But it turned out so that was my dad's power of sale lawyer. But I said, oh, so he's a lawyer. And I go, wow, he's he must be a good lawyer. And he goes, Dave, the guy's not only a good lawyer, he's a great lawyer. But if you're wondering why he has a driver and a brand new BMW, he's one of the biggest private lenders in this country. And, and he said his dad was one. Of the, I think his dad actually was alive at the time. He says dad is the you know maybe the biggest private mortgage lender in this country and i remember that right then and there it was like okay 
I got to learn how this private lending stuff works. And I was just in my late teens. And then once I ended up working with my dad, I, that was the first thing I wanted to know is how, what is this Everyone private who lending? figures that out is like, okay, I'm going to make some money. Yeah. And at some point I'm going to become the bank. Yeah. I'd say, well, my, my big goal when I got into the business, I remember I had this, I was so naive. I was what, 22 or 23 when I started. And I remember I had this dumb, naive dream that all I needed to do was get to a million bucks and just lend it out privately because that was like dumb, nine. That, but that's not a dumb, naive <laughs> well, dream. Well, it's only dumb when you realize that, wait, that's at 22 years old, that would be nice. But then when you finally do get that much money, you're 30, you're getting married, you need a house, yeah. you need a car, you need, you know. You're, your 30s yeah. destroy you, dude. Your 30s, like literally, I tell everyone who comes in here at Rockstar and if they're in their 20s, I'm like, buy a freaking rental property yes, right now because it, we won't see you again until you're about 40 yeah. or 45 because in yeah. your, we don't see anyone in their 30s in here because everyone in Canada in their 30s is right. completely broke. Yeah, you can't. Well, you can't. There's You can't qualify for anything. You I mean, can't because you're going to buy your, you're going to buy a car. Today. You're going to buy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so listen, we'll get to today now. So interest rates um, actually came down a little bit in January. Wow. Fixed rates, which yeah, is freaky. Lucky. But where, so just to paint a picture, I know this, I think Bank of Canada is meeting tomorrow or announcing any changes, which I don't think they're going to announce any changes. But where are, uh, give a ballpark fixed five-year term and variable just to, just to paint the picture. Uh, Five-year fixed on, a, on like an owner-occupied home. I'm, I'm seeing as low as 3.39, 3.49, 3.59. Okay. And on a rental? On a rental, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, 3.69, 3.79, you know, right around there on a five-year fixed. Now, conversely, I mean, just what, a couple months ago, you know, you're, you're talking high threes, low fours. I remember. For the fixed yeah. rate. So uh, I guess what, what I could see was the bond market look like it had uh, ever since. See, in December, if you remember, the stock market looked like it was on the verge of collapse. So the bond. It's like the you worst know, December, the worst Santa bonds. Claus rally ever yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, everyone was moving their money to bonds, obviously. Um, and so, of course, okay, what happened up is, the bond market, brought yeah, rates down. The yields came down, right? So uh, that was, I think that was a bit of a blessing because otherwise, had that not happened, had the stock market just continued on i think we were just headed for higher rates and i think if you think about it the u.s fed you know that Basically guy was said, pretty much saying he's going to raise him four times in all of a in sudden December, well in december he said that then yeah. like two weeks later i think basically trump yelled at him yep. over twitter yep and he and basically he came, came out like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep. but then he changed again mm -hmm. he kind of flip-flopped back and forth oh, he's like all two, over the place. two three times but then in january he finally came out yes. with that speech and he said we're going to be patient yep. and as soon as everyone heard that everyone's yep. like oh my god yep. are we at the top of the market cycle on on interest rates yep. and that's kind of where we're at right now but canada's made it so hard to qualify You've noted, we've all noticed the difference. Yeah. I mean, the TREB market data, uh, you know. So first of all, I think British Columbia is a lot worse off right now. right now. Yeah, yeah. Alberta, Calgary, yeah. they have their oil and gas crisis, which I've come to learn a yeah. lot about over the last few months since Pierre Paul kind of brought yep. me up to speed on that. Their mortgage market kind of is a little bit weak. Um, but Ontario, uh, it, it was something interesting is happening. We are seeing... You just talked about some price points that where people bought in 2017, like a $900,000 home in new yeah. market that is now like uh, 820. 820, which is bananas. Yeah. But we're seeing on starter homes as rental properties that we're buying. We just talked to Mike about this the other day, like, hey, not the other day, like 60 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, Mike, what are you, you know, a home you bought last year for 480 or a year and a half ago for 480. What are you seeing it today? And he's like, well, about 485. Yep. So like the reason that we always talk about, talked with investors about starter homes is because starter homes always are the most liquid. And I don't mean real estate's liquid. I just mean relative to other price categories. 
It's not that they can't go down. They absolutely can. And we think you need to be prepared. And that's why we need to have track for cash flow. And you need to buy good properties and the whole bit. But starter homes just kind of tend to hold their value a little bit. They're a little bit more stable. They're a little bit more liquid. It doesn't mean they can't go get down 20 or 30%. But my feeling is that they've held their value is because the banks have made it so hard to qualify. The government of Canada has made it so hard to qualify that you can't go buy a million dollar. Like, yep. who's going to be able to qualify to buy a million dollar property? Yeah, with today's so, rates and the stress yeah. test. And so people else. are being pushed further out of the yep. GTA. And so if you can buy, you know, a million dollar home in Toronto or a million dollar home in Mississauga, it's a million dollar home to get something in Oakville, a million dollar home in Burlington. If you're coming west, yep. then Hamilton, you find something at like 480, 500,000. It's like half. So you buy there, it kind of holds that market. So we're seeing, there, it's a tale of two markets right now where, People don't believe us. We're seeing multiple offers in Hamilton, yep. multiple offers in St. <laughs> Catharines. Crazy. It's crazy, right? Uh, but then you see other price categories. If you go higher at the 1.5 to 2.5, it's dead. It's dead, it's dead. Yeah, it's it's dead. dead in Canada. Yeah, that's so, what I, I'm, I'm seeing the same stuff on our side. I mean, uh, we, we, it's funny how we see, you know, you're on the real estate side, on the mortgage side, we end up seeing kind of all the same stuff and from very wide range. And I'm definitely seeing the, the luxury stuff you know, it's just much more volatile, right? So, I mean, it goes up nice when things are good. It comes down, you know, pretty much just as fast. Um, yeah, the the stuff right in the middle, those starters, they really hold their value I strong. haven't seen any panic in the market yet, so it'll be interesting to see. Like, I think this is something we were yeah. talking about before we came on here is like, it's going to be interesting to see because it's way harder to get mortgages. I don't think there's any secret with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking to someone who definitely intimately <laughs> knows this, but, but it's going to be interesting to me to see if the banks aren't able to get new mortgage originations, like they make a killing from these mortgages. Mm -hmm. So like nine months from now, if they're not able to just continue to replenish their mortgage pool, I'm wondering, is there a crisis coming our way where the banks just tap the government on the shoulder and say, hey, look, you better loosen this up a little bit. Yeah. Or, you know, this isn't going to be pretty. Or is it going to take some bigger correction for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I literally think exactly the same. I mean, uh, I think right now, and I, I told you this earlier, I think right now the regulators are still in the final stage of patting themselves on the back. Because they um, think they've cooled the market. They think they've, they've done what, I mean. They've and, had their and, soft landing. And in, in essence, they kind of yeah. have done yeah, yeah. what they want to do. So I think right but, now we're at the stage where they've got another two, three months, maybe another quarter or two where they're going to keep patting themselves on the back. And then, as you say, the reality is the banks run this thing. As far as, I mean, as far I've as... I've always convinced yeah. myself the banks run the country. Uh, if the banks are crying to the government, then the government will make the changes. That's my belief. And I, I'll i say it right now just to get the prediction out there. I think the first thing, if, if I think of how the bank and the government would think more so the government because they're the end they'll be the one making the actual end up change i think the first rule change we will see is uh they'll allow 30-year amortizations on insured mortgages so that's the stuff at 5 10 and 15 percent down so right that'll now that'll appeal to the to years. the first time home buyer yes. primary place of residence guy yeah, yeah. girl yeah. who uh so they can make it easier to qualify yeah. they, part of me just like the, the freaky part with all this is part of me just disagrees that we manipulate our banking system to make the banks make profits and the rest of us are left to try to bring assets into our life. Like part of the reason Rockstar exists and people go to, to you and you help them out is like we're trying to help people get assets into their lives. Yes. But we're, we face bigger and bigger hurdles every day. Yep. And, and, the, and the crazy part is it never stops me from telling people you still need to jump over these hurdles because I believe in you don't... <laughs> 
you need assets to survive this crazy money game that we're all in. And you need to survive the ups and the downs. And a lot of people will then say, well, Tom, I'm just going to wait until the market collapses to buy. (laughs) And the reason, and, and and I know how this can come around selfish sounding when I say this, but my response is, listen, when the market's at the bottom, the reason the market's at the bottom is there's no access to credit. If you go back to 2007, 2008, the reason it collapsed is credit or mortgages weren't being released from the banks. Not only that, banks were sending people we know letters saying your unused credit line of $100,000 that you had on that property, we've closed it. So credit vanishes. So you're going to be really hard pressed to buy properties. We've always taken this belief that you buy properties when you can yep. and you hold on for dear life. There's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. Like real hey, estate. You guys is, say that? I say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know what? We've probably been hanging out well, so much. Wait, I don't wait, even know. I, I always used to, maybe from such a juvenile way of thinking, but I remember thinking like, like that late 80s, early 90s crash or all the people, if you owned, let's say three or four properties and you ended up going through that bad time, if you just held on, and I know it sounds easier than, you know, I, I get well, all emotionally, that. Emotionally, it's, it's psychologically, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's, but if you just were able to do it, if you made that oh. your central focus and you did it, think of how rich in equity you are today on those four properties, right? So, I mean, to, to your point, that's what I say to clients, just, you know, this is real estate. This game is a long game. This is not a short game, in my opinion. You know, you can take short approaches on specific properties or investments in this, but this is a long game, right? And if you're playing it, you need to know you might hit a bad cycle. I mean, these things are very, which is why you need properties that pay for themselves as hard as they are to find. And that's why you need to go through student rentals, second suites. Sometimes you don't buy the million dollar rental, even though it seems, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, that's why it's what I love about working with you guys is that the, my, my number one thing is that when I see these properties, they are all hold value type properties. I, I can tell you unequivocally, I've never seen you bring me, um, you know, or your team or anyone or an investor come to me with a million dollar rental on, let's say Oakville. It yeah. just, that's, thanks that for that. We've, we've always stayed, tried to stay, we're not perfect, Dave, and you know that, but we've tried to stay true to that because we're always paranoid based on what our family's been yeah. through. And when we looked at the data in 1990, it was really interesting. It took six years for prices to bottom. Right. But it only took a year and a half for volume in the real estate market to come right back. And the reason I think real estate investors need to know that is that if you do need to sell, because let's say there's a point in your life where you're like, damn, I need to sell during this market. You're you really have a from what we've seen on the worst real estate crash in Canada, a 18 month window where it could be really tough. If you can survive that 18 months, there yep. will be some liquidity in the market and you'll be able to get rid of a property. It's probably going to be less than what you were hoping, yep. but you'll be able to kind of get rid of it. Yep. So to us, it's like, think you need to survive 18 months at a minimum and then up to like a six year window yep. until things turn around. But Until that, they get back to where they were, yeah. Well, yeah, six years. I have to look at it. It might be six years to bottom. Like I can't remember if 1996 oh, really? was the but bottom. But then half, half the time you only realize you're in it about halfway through. So then you only really have another like yeah, three yeah. years. And I'm assuming you bought, usually. and in my example, I'm <laughs> yeah, assuming yeah. you bought at the top. Totally, totally, totally. Too, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you if you bought a few years earlier, then, you know, you didn't go through and lose kind of as much. Well, you know what you say about the people that are saying, I'll wait and I'll buy it at, at the bottom of the crash. It's it's like, I mean, if if you have that 
ability to do that, then you should also get in the stock market because you should go and buy. I mean, how do you? I mean, that's how do you buy the bottom? It, it, the I only mean, thing that luck. sucks about us talking about this is because you're in mortgages and we're a, bro- a real estate yeah. brokerage. It sounds so self-serving, but I know it's true because in 2006 we had 10 people. We Nick and I made a list. Yeah. We had 10 investors who said, "I'm not buying right now. I'm going to buy when you know there's blood in the streets." That was their words, not yep. ours. Then, then the U.S. had freaking blood in the streets. Mm-hmm. Two out of those 10 people, two that are still Rockstar members today, by the way, proceeded to go buy properties at that time because they thought this is the time, right? Because all of a sudden there was opportunity. Even though the market in Canada had only plateaued, they went in. The other eight who said they were absolutely going to buy were frozen out of fear. Yes. And they didn't buy. Yeah. How do you... I mean... It's too tough. I feel like you just have to... You have to you have to know that you may buy and still have another year or two of downward pressure. But I mean, you still got to figure. You got to pick a spot. I mean, and if you do nail the bottom, it was just pure luck. It's pure luck. We've never met that person. We've never met the person who's picked the top or the bottom. It's like get in and survive. And and if the property is paying for itself, that's why we are so anal about looking at rents because all the data that we can see in the US and in Canada during any economic change rents stay stable if not trickle up so if you're happy with the rents today and then we haven't even talked about population growth in here Mm -hmm. but if you have 300,000 people entering the province last year a big chunk of that immigration but then there's natural increase and then movement from other provinces we just have 300,000 people came to Ontario if that trend comes up there's another 300,000 people coming next year the city of Mississauga is like 800,000, 900,000. That means in three years, there's a city of Mississauga entering. Ontario is... is, is and In this country, uh, it's, it's kind it's of the, the hot place spot to be. Right it's now. the place yeah, to I be mean, relatively... Which is funny. When things are bad, people run to Ontario. When things are good, they go and they run to like the nice yeah, places like yeah, Calgary totally. and VC. Get me in Vancouver. Right? <laughs> anyway, we went off on a bit of a rant here. Dave, uh, we need to bring you back more regularly because I think, you know what, going forward, there's going to be lots of stuff going on in the mar- mortgage yeah. market. So listen, we need to make an agreement. Don't have another freaking heart attack. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Well, no more Red Bulls after your turkey we, dinners. We cut, okay. you know, we'll just book the next podcast date so then I have something to look forward to. Yeah, okay, so that's to, what I we'll do. Okay. <laughs> Go Raps. Hey, everyone. So if you wanted to reach out to Dave Butler's office, the best way to do it is a phone number he has left with me. It's 905-569-8326. That's 905-569-8326. I want to be pretty clear. There are two sides to Butler Mortgages. There is his dad's side of the business, which is um, Ron Butler, uh, Dave's side of the business. Dave Butler typically works with real estate investors. He's been really good to us. Um, so that's the phone number to reach out with Dave. Really thankful that have things have worked out as best as they possibly could after his heart attack. Um, hopefully you found the mortgage information um, insightful. Thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. If you are finding this useful and you haven't given us a rating on iTunes yet or a review and you think we've earned it, we would greatly appreciate it. Getting your feedback like that is really the fuel that keeps uh, making us put this out there. So thank you for those of you who have done that. If you haven't done that yet and you think we've earned it, please do so. We really, really appreciate that. So thank you. And um, we've had a little hiccup with the email address that I was handing out for feedback on this. So I'm about to have a new email address to share, but apparently over the last few months, the email address that I've been sharing hasn't been working the way that we've wanted to be working. And some of those emails have not been getting to us. So we'll have a new email address to share with you shortly. So if you've sent us something and we haven't responded because we typically respond to everything that comes in, that's why. So our apologies for that. Stay tuned for a new email address. Thank you so much for listening to this. We really appreciate it. The whole reason we're doing this is trying in some small way to help all of us together here in Canada live life on our terms. And with that, until next time, your life, 
your terms. <laughs>